Hello, good morning, and welcome back to the second episode of the Silmarillion Project podcast. I'm your co-host Dave Kale, and with me as always are Trish Lambert and the, the illustrious Tolkien professor Corey Olson, and we are here, of course, to tell you exactly how the Silmarillion will never be adapted onto the screen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great tagline, yes. Exactly yeah. how it will never happen. Never happen. That's right. Like that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's very good. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to our second episode. Um, I have had oh. so much fun thinking about the results of say, our first episode. And we should oh, sorry, say that, and we should say, and we should be clear that this is the second episode of season zero, right? Second episode <laughs> of season zero. Absolutely. As we continue to do the, uh, to, to, to lay the groundwork for the greatest TV series that will never be filmed. Um, uh, I want to, we want to start by looking back uh, to the last episode and, and, and sort of thinking through some of the, uh, you know, some of the, you know, several people have been making comments and, and weighing in on this uh, on our discussion boards. We've had uh, lots of wonderful contributions. We've had about 100 people sign up for the discussion boards and, and many, many posts. Um, it's been great. been loving to see the, uh, the discussion there. Uh, by the way, uh, did you guys see that uh, uh, David de la Gardelle is, is, is actually planning to forge the Spear of Orome as a prop for the show? Oh! Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he, he posted on uh, – uh, uh, he uh, showed them with me on Twitter. He posted uh, uh, some drawings he's made already for, for, for the Spear of Orome. So, uh, oh, well, so... hey, we can merchandise. Who says we can't merchandise? <laughs> That's you know? right. We can merchandise. <laughs> That's true. Stuff for our fake show, yeah. And have, we can have T-shirts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, uh-oh. Uh-oh, losing Trish's audio already. That's not... That's, no, that's no. Start. You're back. Uh, I'm, in my, I'm on my good I'm on my good connection, too. <laughs> oh, dear. No, I was Fleshy just, Balrogs. It was just a Karina. brief interruption. Yeah, yeah. I probably talked so loud it, it like, cut out my mic. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, it's great. We've had some 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 really uh, excellent discussions. It's really cool, like how quickly the discussions of like props and costumes went over my head. Like it was it was amazing. Like from the very like first moment, that was really that was really cool. So, um, I'm. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm very excited to see that. It'll be really fun uh, as we move forward. Of course, I know one thing, you know, so one sort of kind of response that I've had to the uh, discussion board so far, sort of general general response, is that um, I know it's, it's awesome to see lots of people really excited about it. And, of course, I know it's really hard to be patient with Season Zero because everybody wants to jump right in and start, like, planning the I Know and Delay <laughs> and moving forward. But... It's really, really important that we, I mean, the decisions that we're making in these initial uh, episodes are going to be, you know, determining things for literally years to come. Uh, and we want to make sure that we think through all this stuff well in advance so that we can move forward with things appropriately. Uh, so we're, I'm trying to resist actually making any concrete decisions about actual, like, episodes or particular plots. Um and really stay focused on these big picture questions. But thinking back to some of the things that uh, uh, people have been saying about the big picture plots, about um, the the frame stuff that we talked about last time, um, yeah, I, I want to kind of I guess, sort of review and some of the things. And and uh, Dave and Trish, you feel free to jump in with uh, things that either you have been reflecting on since last episode, or uh, that you've heard from others, or, or seen on the discussion boards yourselves. Um, 
you know, some of the comments that I thought were really interesting were there were some people who were basically arguing for a single narrator. Um, you know, th there are many people who are sort of advocating Bilbo as being the you know, sort of being the maximally, uh, you know, sort of book-rooted, you know, tradition-rooted narrator figure, as he, of course, is the one who compiles um, uh, the, you know, translations from the Elvish, which become the Silmarillion. Um, and so, in some ways, the most, the most sort of clear and true-to-book version of the narrator that we could get would be, you know, Bilbo talking to people and hearing these stories from elves in Rivendell and other visitors and things uh, as we go through. Um, so, so I mean, I do think that that's, uh, you know, that's definitely an interesting idea. And, you know, it's definitely, uh, I mean, I, 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 there's a lot, I think, to like about that. Um, mm -hmm. I have to admit, I've kind of fallen in love with our, uh, with our idea of the multiple narrators, yep. and especially with the way that they can link to it. My, my counter, I guess, to that is the way having multiple narrators enables us to really draw attention to the... Um, the kind of the different angles of the Silmarillion, the different kinds of stories that it contains. I mean, it's fundamentally elfocentric, of course, um, but it's not just a pure elf document. Um, at, at the least, the, the you know sort of the interest in the stories isn't all of the same kind. And rooting the it's basically showing the relevance of the Silmarillion across a broader spectrum of sort of later application. Uh, to them, is something that I, I, I think would be really would would be really great to do. So that's why I sort of favor the 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 multiple characters approach. I, I think I'm there too. I like the multiple narr narrators, but I, but I also like the narrator having a story over the season. In other words, what I would like to do is come up with maybe a narrator or maybe two narrators at the most. Right. Right. In a season, in and a then season. have there be a story that the narrators are going through as well as telling the stories. Yeah, sense. we definitely need to be thinking about the narrator arcs. When we think about the season arcs, you know, and the plans for the season, mm -hmm. we definitely do need to be thinking yeah. about that. Um, and, but I think that's going to be something that's going to come in naturally when we decide on the arc, mm -hmm. you know, on, on what we're going to be covering in a right. particular season, yes. um, that we can, you know, sort of think about that in a way that that's going to make sense. My, my um, feelings on this haven't changed from, from last time at all. Like I, I, I really feel like, um, the, the, the frame story, if it's static, if it's just a little old man sitting there telling stories, it's going to be distracting and dumb. Um, right. I, I really like. I I definitely also fell in love with not just the multiple um, the multiple narrators, but the idea of there being a, a an actual frame story that's dynamic, that something's going on and and is um, connected to uh, or or um, parallel to what the story that's being told within the Silmarillion um, frame. So. Um, uh, I yeah I haven't changed my mind about that at all. I think that's great. I, I don't think we need to decide who the narrators will right. be yet because I think that will organically flow out of of. I think we can think about that for each little story span. Like okay, we're doing Ina Lindelay. Right. Who's going to narrate that? Okay, we're doing Baron Luthien. Who's going to narrate <laughs> that? But um, but but I I don't um I don't want to like. Like I, I, I think if it's just like Bilbo every single time right. sitting in in Rivendell, that's going to get really tiresome. Right, right. And even if we have him wandering about, I mean, the um, 
the thing that I found most exciting about the ideas last time was the idea of really having these stories be connected with other stories. Um, you know, that is to have something, you know, the development of Aragorn's character and mm -hmm. so that there be a real arc and a right. story within the narrative and not just a, a, the frame as a way to connect the stories on a, you know, like, you know, like, like, like beads on a chain. My apologies to who, I can't remember who said this, but I, I had to kind of giggle when, when somebody posited, you know, having one of, the, one of the frames be Gil Ryan telling Aragorn the story of Baron and Luthien as a cautionary tale, but Aragorn takes it completely the opposite way. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, and actually, you know, because that's, that's a really cool thing. I mean, that's a, that's a cool thing that we can do, actually, you know, to show different ways in which the stories are taken and applied and even right. uh, I mean to even have a moment like that like you know at 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 a frame scene at the end of a story um to sort of make it clear that the person who told the story you know feels that it means one thing and the person who has heard the story is clearly taking a different meaning from it that that's really interesting i mean i think that that's yeah. something we, we could we could definitely do or like kate neville um, just said like the story of the Ainu Lindelay being told to fanor by his father <laughs> right, right. Though that actually raises another important issue. Um, I, there's one thing that I've been thinking about more because several people have voiced. Uh, I mean, I think Dave ultimately inspired by the by like the Maglor <laughs> suggestion. Um, many people have suggested, you know, why not? Why not? Why make the why necessarily make the 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 frame narrators all sort of Lord of the Rings era, you know, uh, later, you know, why not make them earlier on or, or sort of closer to the action? Why not have some Silmarillion characters telling some of the earlier stories and things? Um, but the more I've thought about it, the more I really like the idea of having those, you know, in, in a sense, it means our real story, the real story that the show is telling is actually a Lord of the Rings or post Lord of the Rings story. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the frame is in a sense the real story of the show, and the uh, and 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 the stories are themselves connected and sort of brought together within that frame. I really like the idea of that because it 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 demonstrates the applicability of it. That is, I think it's going to be important, even perhaps refreshing, uh, to uh, our theoretical viewers of this show, to not only give them a frame of reference with which they're familiar already, but not ask them imaginatively to be going all the way back to the first age all the time, right. but rather to be, um, you know, to be sort of mediating that imaginative leap into the first age through the imaginative leap that the frame characters are making. Um, and to be sort of demonstrating and thinking more actively about the applicability. I keep coming back to the word applicability when thinking about the frame, um, and and especially bringing these stories forward. Um, mm -hmm. You know, why do we care about the Silmarillion stories, right? Well, you know, if if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, why should you read the Silmarillion? You know, who, who right. cares, right? right. Um, and in a sense, through the relationship between the the Silmarillion stories and the frame, we can kind of answer that question, right? Here's why it matters. You know, here's why it's relevant. Um, you know, both to them and to us. I, I mean, so so if we we're we're just if we're just a hundred percent. I mean, at least for uh, much of the show, if we're just a hundred percent within that frame, um, within the Silmarillion 
uh, world, you know, and so we have, I mean, and there's lots of opportunity and there'd be very cool things. I like the idea of Finrod telling stories to men, right? I like the idea of, you know, Maglor singing of the Kinslaying or something like that. I mean, that's, that's, there's, 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 that's a cool, cool concept. But if you think where it brings us as viewers, like we just have to be always in this, always there in the first age rather mm-hmm. than making points of contact between that and the third age world, you know, third age slash early fourth age world that, um, you know, that we already know from the Lord of the Rings. And I think that that's, um, I, I, I think that that's going to be really important. I do think, you know, I agree with you. I mean, I think our theoretical viewers, I mean, notwithstanding what Corey said, it's make-believe, we can do whatever we want. I do right. think we need to, you know, think in terms of this theoretical audience. And, <clears throat> um, yeah, granted, I mean, some of the viewers may not have read the books or seen the movies, but they'll be prompted right. to do so, most likely. I mean, with fam- with characters they're familiar with. But I also, a couple people in the in the question, uh, in the question box today are saying kind of the same thing I'm concerned with. I also want to be careful that we don't jump around and have too many narrators in a season. Um, yes. I do think there needs to be an anchor story to a season for the, for the frame that people can, you know, can kind of glom onto and get. And then, yeah. you know, the next season there could be another different narrator with a story. But I think yeah. that's important. Exactly. But that's really about how we break up and sort of parse the stories out, right? More, right. Even right. more than it is about frequency of narrators. Um, yeah, we shouldn't have like every little segment or certainly like, you know, the, the, the vision is certainly not to have like every episode have a different narrator or be jumping back and forth in that way. Um, but uh, to keep the stories being told, I mean, there's some that are obvious, right? Like obviously the story of Baron and Luthien is one story, right? So, you know, we're going to have mm-hmm. one narrator through that, one narrator bit through that whole through that whole thing um but uh we're not going to um so say so, yeah, so, so we're not just going to be bouncing around randomly um and i yeah so but that that's definitely something that we can manage and should be thinking about and and you know the arc and how they fit in when we when we get to planning the episodes for that particular season. Kate Neville makes a really good point. She says, so we need to decide first, what is the overall intention of the film story? Just independent stories or as an inspiration for post Lord of the Rings peoples as real myths like Greek or Norse myths? Uh, Yeah, Kate. I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking of um, that, you know, and it could even be in a sense, one of the things that we're trying to capture. I think it's another element of what I've been describing as applicability is also to be thinking about myth and the role of myth and the function of myth. These are Mm -hmm. mythic stories uh, for the, for the people of, 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 you know, the later middle earth periods Um, and to show how, how, you know, how these myths impact them and how they respond to these myths and how these myths uh, fit with it. I mean, think of all the ways in which moments in moments in the Lord of the Rings um, uh, are sort of echoes of things that happen in the Silmarillion. Um, And, you know, to basically sort of show even, even, you know, for the, the characters themselves, like Sam and Aragorn, to see a kind of resonance between the stuff that has happened to them and the things that uh, that happened uh, in Silmarillion, um, and you know the, the the relevance of that myth and the power of that myth within their own experience, that'd be really cool. I like that. Um, but um, uh, anyway, so um, so yeah, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's that's 
that would be really fun. But and and so Trish, as far as considering considering the fans, we definitely need to be thinking about the audience. Um, my my main constraint is I don't I don't want to be thinking in terms of like well we need to compromise the awesomeness of what we need to do for right. so like we need to, but rather we should absolutely be thinking about right. um, what um, what do what are we trying to convey to our audience right what are where are sort of the places that we're wanting our audience to go so we do need to be thinking about how it could be uh, actually Lynn Monroe came up with a great uh, scenario that we could yeah. think about. I think we should pretend that a billionaire Tolkien fan has given us all the money we want, and the only parameter that he or she has given is that it be done for the fans, with no thought to what a commercial, what would be commercially viable. Okay, so that, yeah. that's our mission statement. Yeah, no, that's 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 more or less the frame. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. There, I think it, I I think it will be fun to impose at least some constraints of 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 pseudo reality, like to you know, because the, the, the truth of the matter is. Truth of the matter is that there's a very good chance that if we just, I don't know, I think sometimes constraints can help. If we place limits on right. ourselves, we'll be more creative in coming out, coming up how to adapt this. Otherwise, uh, with with unlimited budget, unlimited time, and and no interest in whether anyone ever actually was interested in watching it, we would probably <laughs> right, just right. have a guy. Right. Stay, we would just have a guy film a guy reading the book. <laughs> <laughs> right. right, right, yeah. No, I mean it's it's. Uh, it, that's true, and that's something we can decide. I mean, if we want to decide to actually have budgetary restraints, it's kind of hard because I'm not sure how to calculate budget, frankly. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but anyway, I um. Well, I think the constraint that we just said, which is that we do have to care about our audience. I mean, right, you know, right. so we have to realize that the audience is is going to not be us in the sense of those of us who are familiar enough with the Silmarillion right. to appreciate first age narrators, for example. Right. You know, the general audience will be able to, will actually have more familiarity with third age people, and then you know, then we go from there, kind yeah. of thing. I, well, I, you know, and the, the other thing to keep in mind is is that that sometimes the change, yes, a lot of the changes that that folks made on the or that that Peter Jackson made on Lord of the Rings and and um, the Hobbit, and that folks make when they're adapting things like the Game of Thrones adaptation. Some of them feel arbitrary, and it's just like, oh, they're just changing as they want to. They want to, you know, have a, a they want to make the floating down the river and the barrels an action sequence and feature more Legos. Some of them feel arbitrary. Some of them are absolutely necessary. Some of them we completely agreed with. We were like, yeah, there's no way this could possibly work on screen. Um, thank God they changed that because it would just be ridiculous or it would be interminable scene or you wouldn't be able to watch it. So, so I think we really do have to think about. Is this mm -hmm. actually, you know, like, like I think, I, I think, you know, not worrying too much about budget is fine. I think, um, and and focusing on trying to make an adaptation that's 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 really targeted to, to 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 people who appreciate these stories, not to the mainstream audience, is fine. But I think we at least right. have to 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 um, imagine what's going to work as a uh, you know on the on the screen on the medium of the screen as opposed to the right. medium of people's yeah, imagination that's true. absolutely um, absolutely and yes. and and be willing to to say well this character's getting the axe cuz they just you know like because there's like five different characters with the same name you know who flit in and out of the story let's just merge them into one character or something i think i think i think those kinds of things that's the right thing to do otherwise i think the 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 adap the hypothetical adaptation that won't actually be made 
will not be successful in our imaginations. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, let's okay, let's 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 jump out of this and actually get to like what we're doing, which is, you know, the Silmarillion film project really is about making the Silmarillion more uh more accessible to uh-huh. people that haven't read it. I think that our show, our TV show is the same, you know, which is making Tolkien more accessible to people who maybe haven't delved in or or people that, you know, people that haven't seen the movies, even Jackson's movies. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things I think that's good about having third age frame, you know, a third age frame is at least if they see this and they have it, that they start to see it and go, this is really an interesting show. There's at least something they can go easy. They can go watch the movies, right? And then hopefully go read the books. Right. Uh, with if we didn't, if we just started, you know, if we have first age narrators, there's not a, there's not another reference other than the Silmarillion, and jumping right into the Silmarillion if you really don't know Tolkien is going to be difficult. Exactly, I do think it's important to provide that frame of reference. We need to, we need to hustle on. Uh, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm the voice of discipline uh, here. Uh, in, in we're uh, weird, weird. yeah, I know, isn't it awful? But anyway, um. Uh, oh, a quick answer to uh, Shelby. Uh, no, we, we're there's no desire, and it's it, it's an interesting question because, of course, within the film watching world, lots of people are going to be coming in with Jacksonian assumptions, right? With the familiarity with Jackson's world. No, there's no desire to be consistent with that with cinematic Middle Earth. We're doing our entirely new things. So people just have to live with it. Um, uh, so yes, we're not we're not taking. Um, I mean, of course, we're going to be thinking about Jackson occasionally and sort of learning from some things that Jackson did, um, but uh, there's no desire at all to be consistent to that um, as far as within our work is concerned, you know, within the Silmarillion film is concerned. We're not going to, uh, you know, the Jackson things. Now, to before we move on, because yeah. we are the deciders and we need to, you, the three of us to decide yeah. on stuff. So I'm thinking the frame narrative, it sounds like we are definitely agreed, the three of us, on multiple narrators with a story arc of some sort for the narrators, and that's as far as we need to get as far as this topic. As far as right now, I mean, because, you know, until we get to actually mapping out story by story, um, I, I think we can even kind of suspend the question of exactly which narrators we're going to yes, use. Yes, absolutely. I think that'll be, become one of the items we have to talk about at the beginning of each season. Yeah, yeah, until we really see what fits there, so. Okay, so yeah. I just wanted to be clear that that's our decision. Yep, um, yep. We don't want to leave things hanging out. All right. Yeah. Multiple narratives. Okay. Um, Carry so on. Trans, uh, tr- we're going to be transitioning into today's topic. Uh, but Did first, you want to do announcements? Yes. Sorry. Yeah, I want to do announcements uh, <laughs> here before we do that. So first, some, some, some transitioning in today's topic. No, we're not. Not yet. Yeah. yeah. No, that's how I'm transitioning in through the medium of announcements. That's that's like the transitional moment is announcements. Um, so a couple quick Mythgard announcements. Uh, uh, first off, I don't know how many of you have heard uh, this, but uh, we're very excited this fall. Uh, Amy Sturgis is going to be teaching a full semester class uh, on the Star Wars epic, uh, and it's going to be an awesome class. Um, not only, of course, a really careful look at the films, but also looking at uh, uh, some of the books. She already has lined up uh, uh, one of the uh, one of the Star Wars authors to to come to the class, and uh, it's 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 going to be really great. Amy does such a wonderful job of uh, providing this, uh, you know, a really thorough and fascinating intellectual context for things. Um, 
she is, you know, her classes are so wonderful for that. So if you are a Star Wars fan, you should totally check out the Star Wars. I love uh, Amy's slogan, uh, 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 you know, don't move along. This is the class you're looking for. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, we also announced on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday was the end of, uh, for in within the world of the Mythgard Academy, we announced on Wednesday uh, our next classes because Wednesday was the final session of the Princess Bride class final marathon session of the princess bride class and uh, uh we have not we've uh, the 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 people have spoken the electorate has chosen our uh, our next two books that we're going to be covering in the mythcard academy and they are the lays of valerianand uh one number one and Shocker. Then, number, <laughs> then number two well actually you know that one is a little uncertain uh, uh there was a little more drama to that than usual it's been you know, a, a Tolkien book has won pretty handily. This was much closer. And I can totally understand why. The History of Middle-Earth series is not like a very natural thing to read through, you know, cover to cover and one end to the next. Um, especially, you know, the Book of Lost Tales is a very natural thing to do, you know, and we did both volumes of the Book of Lost Tales. But after the Book of Lost Tales is when it starts getting sort of different, right? Is You know, when it, when it kind of starts getting harder in some ways. Um, uh, but we are going to do the ways of Valerian. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, I have uh, never, you know, sort of talked through, you know, talked through uh, with people um, the uh, the alliterative children of Hurin, or the I've done a little bit of the Lay of Lathian before, um, in a in a in a class I did actually the very first Mythgard class ever I did the ways of uh, I did the the Lay of Lathian if I remember correctly. Um, uh, but anyhow, so uh, so we're going to be doing the ways of Valerian and uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Uh, yay! Yay! So, yes, yay! 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 I'm so happy! People, I'm so happy! <laughs> a lot of people very excited about that. Um, That'll be awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that'll be really good. And and uh, the of course the miniseries is just uh, starting. So by the time we get there, it should be done, and we'll we'll definitely talk about that too. I mean, I read that book, and the whole way through, I'm like, I want to hear Corey talk about this book. I, I mean, I've just, never read it. I've never. Oh, read you're it gonna really like so it. So I'm, I'm excited. I think it'll be. Yeah. I think this is yeah. the first book we've done. We've yeah. This is the first book that's been elected that I've never even read before. So oh. uh, I'm just gonna be coming at this completely fresh. It'll be really cool. That'd be great. Um, so the first class we're gonna do the ways of Valerian first, and then Jonathan Norrell, Mister Strange, and the the first class on the way uh, on the ways of Lathian, or the ways of Lathian. Listen to me, the ways of Valerian um, will be uh, in two Wednesdays. So that's uh, the eighth of July. Will be the first class. We'll come back after the fourth of July, and start the next Mythgard Academy class then. So um, that should be. Uh, uh, that should be that should be a lot of fun. So uh, and then uh, and then one last quick note. Um, I have almost immediately after this episode is over, uh, I have my next episode of my uh, my my Twitch stream, my 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 Lotro uh, discussion, uh, and uh, I'll be taking uh, I'll be taking my Hobbit burglar Grifflet out to meet Farmer Maggot today. Uh, so uh, if you can if you can join me in the stream or watch it on uh, on YouTube afterwards, um, that has been a really really fun series. I've been very much and, and I gotta say as a participant in it, it is not just for Lotro players. I mean, Corey yeah. covers so much lore. Last time he happened to be Grifflet happened to be in an area where the dwarves is right where the Erdluin, you know, Blue Mountains and, and Shire start, so there were a lot of dwarves there. And he went into dwarf 
story and backstory and history and how Tolkien got the dwarves in ways I don't think he's done. <laughs> in, yeah, in well, there's a, a lot of the stuff that I've yeah that I've been kind of thinking through, and I know I don't think I had ever really sort of explained that fully in that way before. And um, it was funny. I got so, <laughs> I got so caught. I was doing this like I don't even know how long that was. I was doing this like mini lecture on dwarves. Uh, and and I actually like lost my like I went to the wrong place and like I totally did I forgot like to get I, for, I totally forgot it was a separate instance that final quest so oh, I like, right. went to that's where right. I knew I was supposed to go and fought all the dwarves and I'm like dude where's the troll oh yeah he's at the instance I have to go back and do this all again uh, because I was... and then and then you killed all the dwarves talking about dwarves and the, let exactly. the troll out and it's like. Oh, now he's going to try to kill me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. That was uh that 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 was interesting. But anyway, it's it's been it's been great fun. Uh so, you know, I hope you can I hope I hope that uh, you can join me again. That's 12:30 p.m. Fridays um uh, for the live session uh on the uh on the on Turbine's Lotro stream. So that's just twitch.tv/lotrostream um is the address for that. So Anyway, okay. Um I think Kim was uh was uh, booing the killing of dwarves there, but uh, so, uh, you know. But uh, hey, man, like the dower hands, they're pretty nasty. Okay, so um, uh, so those are those are our announcements. Now the uh, um, brief discussion of the book context for this episode, just so that we can have some points of contact for the discussion. Remember our three questions for today: How shall we portray Iluvatar? How shall we? portray the Valar and how shall we deal with songs and magic um, so thinking about Iluvatar one of the things that's very noticeable when you read through the Silmarillion and especially if you read through the Silmarillion and then like the Lord of the Rings afterwards is that Iluvatar though he doesn't go away is uh, sort of much much less prominent as things go along right he is a central character in the Aino Windelay um, he comes up quite a bit later on. We even see him coming in directly. That is, like, we get dialogue from him still at moments in early on in the Silmarillion. I'm thinking in particular of the Aule and Yavanna story, where we see his interaction with Aule. Um, so that is, it's, it's, it's clear that the Valar themselves apparently still speak with him and communicate with Iluvatar quite directly. Um, and then, of course, we still get, even later on, uh, you know, again, although we don't see them nearly so much later on, once the, once the sort of theater of action of the Silmarillion shifts back to Middle-earth in particular, um, we get very little in the way of direct action from Iluvatar. But, of course, another very prominent example is uh, at the drowning of Numenor. Mm -hmm. So, um, with... Um, uh, you know, at that moment, you'll recall the Numenorians are landing, um, and they're about to attack Valinor and the Valar. Uh, you know, Manway basically abdicates is the wrong thing, but he defers entirely. He just he 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 hands things over to Iluvatar and says, you know, do this what you know, do with this what you would want, and Iluvatar responds and 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 drowns Numenor and and mm -hmm. bends the world. Um, so, I uh, so again. So the qu the question is, how you know are we going? You know, so I would I guess I would kind of break this down in a couple ways. Um, first of all, how are we going to depict Iluvatar at the beginning? You know, in the places in the book when he actually gets dialogue, how are we going to do? Are we going to stick to that? Are we going to give him dialogue? Are we going to give him a visible uh, uh, appearance on screen? Um, 
secondly, uh, as that ceases to happen in the book, are we going to are we also going to cease to do that? You know, are we going to give him um, any kind of presence? How do we how do we how do we how do we make that work? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the that's that's the first question. The second question: How shall we portray the Valar? Um, the important thing to remember about the Valar here is the fundamental shift that happens when they enter Middle-earth, right? So we have all of the Ainur, you know, the choir of all of the Ainur, which seems to be collectively all of these spiritual beings, um, and I say spiritual in the sense of not natively having a body. They are not naturally incarnate creatures because they are outside and predate the creation of the physical world. Um, uh, but then when the world is made, when, when Ea is created, when Iluvatar speaks Ea into being, based upon the, the music that the Ainur have made, um, when he grants reality to that, they choose to enter into it. And, that, and not all of them do, of course, not all of the Ainur do enter in, only some of them do. And, but those who do are then bound to it. So their nature itself changes in, in this sense. They are almost uh, incarnate, incarnated. In fact, it sort of seems that, you know, the, the, the children of Iluvatar, elves and men, also have spirits and bodies that are joined together. Um, they are incarnate. That's the adjective. By the way, I asked a question, the question a long time ago. Dave, didn't it come up during the Silmarillion seminar? Like, what's a collective adjective that you can use to describe elves and, and men, right? I kept wanting to use mortal as opposed to divine, right? Um, mm-hmm. But of course, mortal, you can't really call elves mortal because yep. they're not. Um, People. Well, <laughs> no, no, an adjective. You need an adjective. Oh, an adjective. Oh, an adjective. Yeah. Oh, an adjective. Um, like the, the blank races, right? Collectively, right. meaning uh, categorizing them. And the Iluvatarian races? <laughs> no, because I, I want to be able to include dwarves too, which are oh. sort of semi or pseudo Iluvatarian right. races. But um, uh, uh, incarnate is the word that I have decided on yeah. because that's the word that Tolkien uses most often. Okay. He does use that word on several occasions, especially in his letters, uh, to talk about the elves and men collectively. Um, um, so they're incarnate races in the sense that they are they are souls that are linked in this very intimate way with bodies through mm-hmm. through incarnation. Um, when the Valar come down into Middle Earth, they are you know they are bound to it. Now they don't have bodies like the incarnate races do. They are not bound to bodies in the same way that that that, el- that elves and men are. Um, but they are bound to the world, to the physical world. Um, so that transition from being Ainur to being Valar um, and being bound to the, visu- to the visible and physical world seems to me to need some kind of representation, to, re- to, to sort of demand some kind of representation. Uh, uh, th- there should be a, visu- a, a, a difference, I think, between you know, Manway and, uh, and, and uh, Olmo, and I mentioned them because they're two of the ones who are mentioned by name in the Aino Indoway before the descent, you know, before they become Valar. Um, they, uh, um, th- there should be a difference between how they're represented in the halls of Iluvatar and how they're represented uh, on Middle, on, on not, not on Middle Earth, uh, in Arda. Um, now, the other thing here is that we know that they can and do take on physical bodies. They are not incarnate 
in these bodies. And this is an important difference in, 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 in Tolkien's descriptions here because the bodies of the Valar are not essential to them. Mm -hmm. the, their bodies can't be destroyed, and if it were destroyed, it wouldn't harm them in any way. Their body is just a, a, a thing that they put on, like, like clothing And should they also shift if they choose to? Yeah, they can, they can change, change them? Absolutely. Right? Like, I remember one time I asked you, to, do the Valar have rings and you le wings, and you leaned into the camera and said, if they want to. <laughs> if they want to, right, exactly, yeah, why not, yeah, um, uh, right, exactly, yeah, so no, th so yeah, the, 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 that's the metaphor, the clothes is the metaphor that he uses, that, you know, they put on bodies like a person puts on clothes, um, so, but they do appear, and, and the primary reason they, they put them on is in order to interact with the children of the Luvatar, and we're told that they're the bodies that they do where most commonly wear um, are similar in form to those forms of the children of the Luvatar, um, save greater, um, because they just uh, as an expression of their love for the children of the Luvatar and their desire to interact with them. So, um, uh, th those are some of the 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 and and but then of course on top of this, to me the really important issue with the Valar is this question of and it, this is really a huge question I think the fundamental register the fundamental perspective of our story um, are we going to tell this from uh, well okay let me let me let me explain that a little bit more. Tolkien was very clear about the fact that his Valar, his you know, his sort of angelic order, make mistakes a lot. Mm -hmm. um, that it's not just a question of, um, you know, there's the one fallen angel, right? You know, the the primary fallen angel who is Morgoth. So he went totally bad, but but everybody else is perfect, right? And still living in this state of of utterly sinless. Uh, faultless bliss. That's not the situation in Middle Earth. Um, uh, but um, so only Morgoth really fell to evil, but the but the other Valar screw up quite a bit, and the screwing up of the Valar is really emphasized in the earlier versions in the Book of Lost Tales versions, where sometimes they look. Um, childish sometimes they look really silly uh, sometimes they act somewhat disgracefully um, and uh, and and then there are on top of that the times when they're trying to do the right thing but screw it up um, that choice gets altered as Tolkien goes through and revises over the course of his life he de-emphasized the mere sort of silliness, like he reduced the number of limitations that the Valar seemed to have, um, increased their wisdom and stature, and the, that, that seemed to be primarily the result of the, the point of view of the stories shifting. Um, and the point of view of our story, um, you know, given the frames that we're talking about, we've already been talking about this a little bit, you know, that the point of view of this story is ultimately going to be from the Third Age or the beginning of the Fourth Age looking back, right? Um, so one of the questions that I, you know, so there, there's the simple question of, like, visually, what are we going to make the Valar look like? Um, you know, uh, are they going to be taller than elves, noticeably? Is there going to be a scale issue? Uh, if not, how are, are we going to do anything uh, to indicate uh, their, you know, uh, godhood? You know, 
is there going to be any visual indication of that? Um, will they look different from else? Um, and but then secondly, um, apart from those much simpler questions, there's the bigger question of how how much are we going to be willing to depict them acting um, dumb, you know, doing wrong things? Um, how are we going to handle that? And then, of course, the third, our third question is how should we deal with songs and magic? And the Ainulinda way, of course, is important, but the Ainulinda way is its own problem. I actually think um, that even the bigger um, uh, even the, 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 the a, a, a more sort of pure illustration of the kind of adaptation challenge we're going to be facing uh, with songs and magic is the duel between Finrod and Sauron uh, in the middle of the lay of the story of Baron and Luthien. Mm -hmm. um, that's where you get into the, the kind of situation, I mean, you know, this is the challenge that Peter Jackson faced when he had, you know, the two obvious moments uh, when Gandalf faced off against Saruman at his tower in the Lord of the Rings and when Gandalf uh, uh, faced the necromancer in the Hobbit films. Both of those times we see Jackson in different ways um, trying to deal with how do you represent in a purely visual medium, how do you, well, not purely because you have audio too, but um, in a visual medium, how do you represent, um, uh, how do you represent uh, the, this, this the, you know, a, a Tolkien magical conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Because Tolkien's magic does work very differently than magic often does uh, in a fantasy context and is, and is connected with songs. So how do we do that? So, okay. Those are, that's, the, that's our, our context uh, for these uh, for these things and kind of a setup for our our discussion. Um, so let's start with the Iluvatar question. Um, what do you guys Dive think right about into the, the, Iluvatar? What, yeah. At least if the forum the forum discussion um, and the and the um, uh, flood of comments on the on the question queue uh, are in any in indication, one of probably one of the thorniest questions we'll wrestle with. Yes. Yes, people seem to yes. have really strong feelings that run run the run the the uh, the full spectrum from. I think it would be a complete mistake to portray him in any way whatsoever. To <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. Make make him with a white flowing beard. No oh, man. Um, and this and and of course is evidenced again by their comments. This seems somewhat bound up in how to do the Ainulindale because, for example. If we were to say, eh, we're not even going to do the Ainulindale. We're just going to start with, uh, right. we're going to start uh, embedded in um, Arda. We could kind yeah, of dodge we, this a little bit, right? Like we could, it, but we've got to do the Ainulindale because not to do it would be cowardly. I agree. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Cowardice is the yes. only excuse for not doing the Ainulindale. And, and of course, we're not doing the Ainulindale today. Uh, let's remind ourselves yeah, and yeah, all the yeah, listeners. Yeah, no, we're not. I mean, we, uh, yeah, it's, it's, imp I mean, I asked people, to, I mean, I, I, I appointed the Ainulindale as reading for today because it encompasses, like, elements from all three questions. I mean, it's mm -hmm. the one place you can go to to really, uh, you know, sort of stimulate thinking about all three of these things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but we're not, you know, episode one, uh, or, you know, the uh, TV episode one, of season one is where we're going to be discussing exactly how we're going to do the Ainulindale. I know everyone is just uh, uh, extremely excited to talk about that. Totally understand. Um, but we have more fundamental things to talk about here. Um, so with regard to Iluvatar, um, 
first of all, yes, we're going to do the Ionalinda lace. So yes, Aluvatar does need to be represented somehow. I don't have the complete answer here, but one of the things what, that I think, Trish, if you think let me know. I know, I'm being humble. <laughs> um, well, Corey would disagree with it anyway, so it's okay. Um, two things, actually. One is, I think, uh, you know, you had mentioned, which is true, you know, we, we don't see him. We see him at the beginning. We see him with the Ali and Yavana. We see him drowning in Numenor, which I'm thinking is, I don't know, is that enough? I mean, this is where an adaptation question comes in. I'm wondering if we need to show his presence more often. Um, and when I say show his presence, at least which is somehow we need to, I believe, we need to establish some kind of symbol or some kind of effect that viewers know is a Louvatar or a Louvatar's presence or a Louvatar's influence. Are you talking about running throughout the series? Well, yeah, I think somehow, because Drowning of Numenor is hmm. going to come kind of like late in the series. And if, uh, The droids are digesting data. I know. I think. I think maybe I did that right. I didn't want to, to like talk. No, no. <laughs> Dave, can you repeat what you just said? Yeah, because I mean, all, on all my end, the droids, droids were digesting. My the droids were digesting you guys on my end as well. So, <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, I was. I was just asking. Oh, okay. I, I was just asking. Hey, that's great. So we can combine our recordings and we'll have one. Um, I was just asking, I was thinking out loud about the question of, uh, so you point out the Iluvatar's intervention in the, in, in the Akalabeth and how late that comes in the series, and, and that's after sort of a long apparent uh, ex, uh, uh, absence, or at least an absence of explicit appearances by right. Iluvatar. So, so you were saying we need some way to remind people. But in that case, I think in the book, uh, in the Silmarillion, um, it's made explicit by by the narrator describing describing the Valar as giving up their stewardship temporarily. So I feel like it yeah. could be done. And I think some of the beauty of the of the later stories is that that it's ambiguous. It's like what uh, and and it's ambiguous not just uh, whether you know to the extent to which Iluvatar is involved, but even the extent to which the Valar are involved. Um, yes, where things are just happening and you're just wondering are they even paying attention at this point? What's going on? And well, I think it, that's actually one of the yeah. great elements, especially because early on in the, um, you know, in, in the um, Valaquenta, uh, the the narrator makes it very clear that they that their that their forms are merely raiments and they can walk unseen if they choose. Such that people often wonder, I wonder if they're around here. Could, they might be in this room right now. Right. Um, right. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. I, you know, one of the things that I have, uh, you know, that I've always really liked about that that, that trajectory, you know, because you're right, Dave. You've got not only the reduction of the explicit ref, uh, the the explicit presence uh, or intervention of Iluvatar, um, but the reduction of the explicit intervention of the Valar, and it seems to me that the position that the that the books put us in as we read them through um, is essentially one of 
an increasing need for faith, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, one can still see what is going on and understand, yes, like this looks like something that the Valar have done in the past and, and would be behind now if we come, but we don't know that. We're not told that, right? But it seems that the difference is not necessary. I, I do not at all believe that one is justified in saying, since Iluvatar is, and this is a debate I've had with, with other scholars, um, uh, since Iluvatar is not referred to, then we have no justification in thinking that Iluvatar is any more involved in Middle-earth. And that strikes me as just silly. Um, yeah, and because, I think that's kind of what I'm pointing to also. Yeah, yeah, because there's, there's, there's no, I mean, we have no reason to think that Iluvatar is vacating himself. You know, like, why would he, why would, is there anything that we're told about Iluvatar at the beginning that leads us to believe he's going to shrug his shoulders and walk away from, from Arda, or that the Valar are going to cease to care? Um, and you'll notice that if we at times might say, gosh, aren't the Valar doing anything in Middle-earth? Well, people in Middle-earth are sometimes are saying that too, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it isn't necessarily true that they're not. It's just not perceived. So I, I, that is, to me, it's a really interesting dynamic, but it's ultimately from the, the Middle-earth perspective, a kind of a faith question. Mm -hmm. And we see that some of some characters, especially those who are wise, do respond in faith. I'm thinking not only of people like El El Elrond and Goadriel and Gandalf, but even Aragorn, um, we can see evidence of, and, and Faramir too, both of them think about the Valar and refer to the Valar and seem to believe that the Valar are involved, um, even though that's not a thought, not a way of interpreting things that's really on the minds of, 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 other, of other characters. Well, and, and you know, and, and in Lord of the Rings itself, although I know we're not adapting Lord of the Rings, but I think this is an example, like Kate Neville says, you know, Bilbo was meant to find the ring and not by its maker. Yes. You know, the, the, that's, you know, Iluvatar of the Valar. The, the Dawnless Day becomes dispersed by a mm -hmm. wind from the west, you know, mm -hmm. Saruman's spirit. I mean, there's yes. symbols of of act, action being taken by the Valar, although not explicitly said. And what I'm, I'm thinking along those same lines for the Silmarillion, both mainly for Iluvatar, but because the Valar are so much more involved. Right. Um, but I think, and, and I think this is a point of adaptation. In other words, I'm thinking that we're going to have to add in some of those because of the fact that between Aule and Yavanna and Numenor, the fall of Numenor, there's like, you know, in the book, there's really nothing. So, but yeah. there are pieces, like Brian Biggs said, you know, the fact that Tuor's uh, armor fits, uh, you know, uh, like when the armor fits Tuor, for example. I mean, there could right. be some symbol or some effect that we get the viewers, you know, used to that shows some kind of divine influence at, at, at right. you know, happening. Right, exactly. Ask Tour if the Valar are still paying attention. Like a musical theme, like Kate order. said. Yeah, like yeah. Kate said, a musical well, theme could be. Here's, 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 here's one, one, one easy solution and then one question. Um, of course, the fact that those appearances of Iluvatar, for instance, become more and more separate from each other doesn't mean that we have to forget or permit the uh, viewers to forget about Iluvatar's existence, exactly. right? I exactly. mean, we can still, people can still talk about him and remind people that he's right. there right. Um, without a actually having to have him either walk on stage if he walks or... Um, or speak if he speaks. Um, so that's that's not that seems to me not necessarily a huge issue. But but here's here's the, sort of the bigger question: Are we going to have voiceover? Is that a thing we're going to do? Um, hmm. 
You mean in, in the sense of with Elevatar, you mean? No, with anybody. With like, I mean, at any point. Are we going to ever have a narrator's voice doing voiceover of what oh, we oh, see? Oh, 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 oh. Or when we transition from frame to story, are we just going to be within the story? Is there, or, you know, are, are we going to do vo- I was kind of assuming we were going to do voiceover. I, we were or weren't? We're not. I'm, That's what I'm I was ag- assuming. I am first blush against uh, voiceover. Yeah, I'm not. I think it interrupts. I think before a commercial break, perhaps you can come back to the frame story. Right. Not during the actual story itself. Have a voice. Yeah, exactly. I, and I, I almost feel like it. I don't know. I mean, there are ways in which it can be done, but. Of course, you realize. I guess if we're on HBO, there wouldn't be commercial breaks with there. But okay. right now, yeah, no. I'm actually kind of assuming without commercial breaks. Um, not that I'm assuming we'd be on HBO because I doubt there's going to be nearly enough nudity Netflix. to justify it. But we'll be on Netflix. Um, yeah, Netflix. Sure. Don't yeah, worry. Those those HBO people can find ways to put it in there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah, probably so. Anyway, um, uh, yeah. So I'm not going to worry about commercial breaks. But, uh, but, 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 but voiceover. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't like it generally. I think it would pull it. I think it would pull you out of the story. Mm-hmm. I, I, it would. I mean, it absolutely. Now there can be good functions of that. I mean, there can be really interesting things done with being pulled out of the story. I just taught a three-hour class session on Princess Bride and the frame mechanism in the Princess Bride, so I, 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 I'm really interested in ways in which that can happen. Um, but not that I'm uh, not that I'm saying that you know we need to have anybody breaking in and saying she doesn't get eaten by the eels at this time, but uh, but still, I, I don't I don't think that that's something necessarily that we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to assume and we can make you know as we go through maybe we change our minds about this when we're actually in the nitty gritty episode by episode but initially I'm thinking we're not going to do that which means if we're going to have references to Iluvatar it has to be in dialogue and that's a different that, that's, that's, that's a new challenge we're not going to be relying upon a voiceover we, we will have no narrator figure Outside of the frame uh, segments, which are going to be short and which we do not plan to have inter- interrupt the, ma- the the main story often once we get into the main story, um, so uh, that is you know so when we're thinking about what we do with Iluvatar and the Valar, we have to think in terms of who appears or on screen, who speaks, and what they talk about. Um, I think thinking about Iluvatar, one of the things that we can do. If we start with Yaina Windele, it gets really thorny. So let's start at the other end, right? Let's think about the way the, that Iluvatar would be interacting with the action through the majority of the show, which is going to be... Utterly absent. In, in physical form, yes. I mean, it really... It, it, when, when you think about it in those terms, it becomes clear that the question of do we or do we not depict Iluvatar as appearing in a physical form is really a question only relevant to the Aina Windele. Yes. Because he's there's never any indication. Even uh, the, the, the Ale and Yavana passage is the, the most intrusive Iluvatar moment in the non-Aina Windele Silmarillion um, that I recall. And even there, it's just a conversation with a voice. Um, yes, so it yes, would yes. seem that at most we're gonna we we would need a voice. Yes. Um, uh, one of our one of, somebody somebody in um, the forum 
had a really good suggestion about this. I, 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 we're not going into it yet, so I won't bring it up. But uh, but I, okay. I like this as an <laughs> idea. Um, yeah. Well, well, I mean, well, we're starting. We're going backwards, right? We're starting with the easy stuff. So here's my question about this. Um, there are times throughout both the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings where something happens. Uh, dawn breaks. Um, uh, the 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 winds shift. Those kinds of things, mm-hmm. where the characters sort of actually, and and most of the time they don't even explicitly say, "Aha, see, Iluvatar's on our side. This is clearly a sign that right. he's that he's involved. Right. Let's ride right. on, or something like that." They just take it yeah. as a sign of good fortune. Yes. But I there I'm the thing that makes me a little nervous about saying here let's you know we let's choose something let's have light shine from the sky or 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 some kind of depiction to indicate so that we can indicate you know cue to the 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 people watching right. at any point this is Iluvatar getting involved I don't I don't think there's very many cases in the books themselves where it's pretty clear that he's getting involved unless you know a a, a, a setting aside assumptions that we're making about um Tolkien his faith uh, the type of Christianity he practiced the kinds of stories we think he tells where we we don't think he's create we don't think he's creating a, a um a deist god who who set things in motion and then got involved we're assuming he's involved somehow but right. I don't think there's many points in the book where it's absolutely unambiguously clear that he's that he's intervening and I don't think I think we'd be doing a disservice to the story if we set out to 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 correct Tolkien's um, um, work and you know like hey let's make it we want to make sure that the the modern viewing audience is really getting it that there's a that there's an all powerful God here who's involved right. in this world right so let's make it totally clear to them like I, I think that do a disservice to the story. I agree, and here's the other thing there too is that it's not as simple as that. That's mm-hmm. why there are so few places that you can point to. Because one thing that is very clear from the Aina Lindale forward is that uh, <clears throat> it's one of the things that I find so cool about sort of the spiritual world that Tolkien has depicted mm-hmm. is that he does a remarkable job of sort of showing the interrelationship of God and his creatures, right? That is, he he shows the delegation of creation to the Ainur, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right? The way in which his, you know, uh, Iluvatar's plan and the choices of the Ainur uh, are interwoven into the music. They have free choice and they can do what they like with their pieces, but he gives them the theme, right? Um, even the question of you know, when a particular thing happens in Middle-earth and, you know, there seems to be something more than chance in it, the question, okay, did Iluvatar do that or did the Valar do that? doesn't even seem to me to be, like, a, a question. I mean, like, wh- how do you, you know, uh, if... Uh, it's almost like... Uh, um, it's not like... It's not like reason they descended into Arda is to be Iluvatar's agents here. Like they're doing his work. That's their point. That's their that's their that's that's what they're doing. That's what it means for them to be the, the you know the regents of Iluvatar. Um, they're not just like, well, Iluvatar's not here, so we're going to take over in his absence and do what we think. I mean, they're they are you know, and we see the way that they consult you know sort of the the the, the will of Iluvatar and, mm-hmm. and and you know recall the music and things like that. Um, 
anyway, it's it's you know yeah, so so yeah. so David also do it would also be doing a disservice uh, to to that element I think which seems to me such an important element of of sort of you know the well, theology of the But there's also more than that. That is, he is like that, but he's not a manager or a parent. He's God, you know, right. and so therefore, like, nothing that is done is, you know, there's nothing right. that is done right. that is not according to his will. Well, I was going to say that because he, not, I mean, he's, I, you know, to answer the question, like, you know, why is, why is there so much tragedy or this, you know, but it's part of the music. I mean, that's, that's probably music. really the main thing. Well, I do have one thought, possibly partly revolutionary in the sense of this time span that I was talking about where we have him in the very beginning and then at the Akalabeth. Mm -hmm. We could start with the Akalabeth. I don't mean the full story of the Akalabeth, but maybe start the whole show with that occurrence of Iluvatar's oh. intervention and oh. then go into the Ainalinda Lake. So you actually are, are putting, in that sense, I think then Iluvatar would only be in the first season. Wow. Hey, let's, uh, that's an interesting idea. Let's come back to that in episode four when we, okay. when we, because that is the question of, which seems to me a perfectly relevant question. Do we go in order? You know, do we have to go right. in order? Do we right. go in chronological order? Do we go right. in, you know, I think that's uh, next time actually. Can we show, be... uh, no, it's time after next. Oh, it's, oh okay. Yeah. When we talk about, when we do the map for the, for like the, oh, got it, got it, got it. Big, okay. The big yeah. picture map. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think it's a really interesting idea, but let's let's uh, let's 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 save that for then. Um, okay. Okay. So, um, uh, I think, but I th I think we're agreed in not giving uh, again, uh, and, and and in a sense, I'm actually like totally willing for today to punt on the question of Iluvatar in the Ainulindale because that's going to depend entirely upon how we decide to do the Ainulindale as a whole, which we're not talking about today. Um, but if we're agreed on the fact that we don't need a visual representation of, of Iluvatar through the rest of the story, do we get a voice? That seems to me the last question, right? Uh, do we get a voice? Where, where, in, where other than the Ainulindale, where would that be? Aule and Yavanna, chiefly. Uh... Everywhere else, it could be avoided. That's the only place where I recall Iluvatar getting dialogue and where it would be hard to cut the dialogue without losing something of, you know, I mean, how are we, we would have to decide how we would convey Aule's situation and his motives and, and everything without getting Iluvatar's half of that dialogue. Hmm. Now, again, it's not like we have to script out that scene now, because we'll get to that one later on, too. But, um, uh, but it does seem... But then again, it, it kind of seems like if we're talking about the voice of Iluvatar only occurring in that one instance, then we've already kind of solved the bigger question too. And that, you know, that is the we're not going to have an appearance of Iluvatar broadly across the show, either in audible or in visual form. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and then maybe again, we just we can just shelve the question of the alley conversation until we discuss that episode because we're really talking about that being isolated to that one case. I don't yeah. think there are other moments where we would lose part of the story. I mean, if anybody else can think of it, no. um, yeah. Uh, Mark uh, Brantley Gearhart is talking about him as sort of a wordless voice, as sort of a, a you know, and 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 a couple other people have mentioned Kate. Oh, I know, Charlie Brown. <laughs> 
like <laughs> exactly like the uh, like the, the 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 teacher in Charlie Brown, right? Um, yeah, no, um, but uh, the idea of, of of having a particular musical theme. That you know that, or you know, sort of a, a soundtrack motif that comes up. Don't you? Um, don't you? Be, wah wah wah! He says. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but don't you then need somebody kind of explaining what's happening, or captions, or something, so the viewer no doesn't captions. just go, "What?" Well, no, no, no. Because again, there's only the one scene in which we have a character on screen listening to a Luvatar and answering back, right? Um, it would just. Oh, I'm I'm thinking like places where this kind of musical theme would come up. For instance, would be. When uh, me, you know, when the Valar are in council and they're trying to decide what to do, and so they are like, they're got it. Okay. Think of so the times be, that the Valar like are spend, like sitting around in their like doing nothing, and they're like commuting with a Luvatar, right? They're trying yeah, to yeah. sort this out, right? Yeah. So we have that theme playing while they're like sitting right. there and listening, so that so it's kind of like a a more pleasant that. sound than the adults speaking in the Charlie Brown cartoons, right? <laughs> far more, far more. But again, but it's not even that because that's a stand-in for dialogue. Right, um, that's well, like that's un unheard dialogue, and that's I'm not true. talking about dialogue. I'm talking about you know when, uh, you know, in those moments when he, when Iluvatar is being actually invoked. Another place where this musical theme would be played, presumably, would be on the Mental Tarma uh, during mm -hmm. you know during Numenorean worship uh, on the Mental Tarma. Um, to allude to something that's not going to happen for 11 or 12 years. So we wouldn't have, say, Ale, like music playing and then Ale responding, yes, I understand, right. I will do right. you don't have it, we won't have that happen, right? Uh, I wouldn't think so. That would be odd. Uh, I mean, that, that, that seems to me an, a, a kind of unsatisfactory solution to the dialogue yeah. problem. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, okay, so, well, what, what about the Valar? Notice me pushing us along. What about the Valar? Um, <sighs> this, we, I mean, in the sense is, of corporeal bodies once they hit Arda, right? They've got to have corporeal bodies, right? Yeah. I mean, we know they put on bodies in order to interact with it, so they, they've got to have bodies. Um, but we're back to the same question. Are, are we back to a similar question before that? Are we back to a similar question prior to that in the sense of do they have voices when they're not corporeal. So, you know, how do we show Melkor in the, you know, in Secret Well, but see, but that's easy, easier, anyway, because we are going to have, uh, if they do have corporeal bodies, that means we will be casting them with actors and actresses ah, who true. will have voices and whose voices can be used when they are walking on the So we could actually use body. them as a pre- Identification yes. of okay exactly exactly I wouldn't see any problem with that I mean okay. yeah if we have Melkor speaking in the void and uh, though here we're getting back into the island away not um, in Johnny Depp's voice <laughs> <laughs> no I wouldn't think so uh, but uh, that's a casting issue and I don't want to prejudice the casting discussion but um, <laughs> but anyway. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, so, I mean, the voices for the Valar seem to me easy if we're going to give them bodies and therefore cast them. To me, the bigger question is, so, like, picture a scene. Picture picture Finway, uh, uh, Ingway, and Olway, or uh, Elway, sorry, uh, uh, appearing as the three emissaries in Valinor surrounded by the Valar. What do they see? Um, are the Valar the same size as them? Do they look different? Um, do the, I mean, like, like for instance, I'm thinking, you know, just to give sort of some like hokey examples. Think about like uh, 
uh, sort of hokey Greek mythology movies you've seen before, mm -hmm. where like you can tell that that's Athena on account of she's wearing like a Greek dress and a garland on her head, right? But other than that, she looks like a normal person. Or, um, you know, like it, you can tell that that's Hercules because he's got a lion skin, but other than that, he looks like a normal person. Is that the kind of thing we're going to do? Are we going to have them be the same height and look the same? Like, would somebody walking into the room and never having seen the show in the middle of an episode, seeing a Valar speaking to an elf, be able to tell that there's some kind of difference between those two, or would he not know until it was explained to him or he understood from the context of the show? How much like the children of Iluvatar really are, or, or, or are they going to be bigger? Are they going to be, is there going to be some kind of, I mean, you know, like, they could, and again, I'm being deliberately hokey here, they could have some kind of glowing nimbus. Right? I was just thinking that same thing. Like, they could have that, aura. that's hokey. I'm not yeah. suggesting that, but yeah, like, yeah. that's the category of thing I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, obviously it could oh, yeah. be done better, but, um, uh, you know, what do you, what, you know, um, scale would be one obvious thing, right? We could just have them be on a slightly different scale mm -hmm. so that they are, um, you know, I'm not thinking necessarily like humans to hobbits, you know, not, um, um, you know, Thinking again, th thinking of uh, Jackson's movies as a visual reference point, not the kind of difference that he introduces between Aragorn and Frodo, but between Gimli and Frodo, maybe, or something. Right, right. You know, I just actually slightly bigger. Mariel Gage brings up a really yes. interesting point. Yes. You know that the fact that Aule didn't know what the children of Lubitar were going to look like before, you know, so that's why the dwarves look so funny. I mean, we could actually have the Valar coming, you know, being corporeal initially in some you know, some form, I don't want to get too clownish about it, but actually changing their forms once the elves show up. Yeah, let's let's cast them twice. Let's cast them with funny-looking actors the first time, <laughs> when they first appear, which would, which would, which would be comical and, and, and totally anticlimactic, and then we'll cast them with devastatingly attractive actors. Uh, once the elves when, show up. Once the elves show up and they're like, oh, okay, now we get it. <laughs> Um, I like Nelson's. All of the Valor are Steve Buscemi in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So I mean, I, I, I mean that you know, doing that kind of distinction would be pretty challenging, I think. But it would um, be. I mean, it's a very good point. You know, because. I could see some fan of the show saying, you know, when we get to the ally part, what do you mean he didn't know what the journal Louvatar looked I mean, they, they look like them. They look like the Valar, you know. Right. I mean, I, I don't know that there's a way to really do that. Yeah, I don't know if we can if we can really multiple cast them. Um, but, uh, What yeah. if, uh, ah, shoot. Or maybe even some CGI effect to the actual actor that will end up playing the Valar, you know. Same actor, but something... Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, what do you guys think about the scale idea? That's sort of a a, a simple question on the table, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't think it needs to be enormously different. Like they're not giants, but right. there should be right. some stature difference. Um, so the elves have to look up when they talk to them. <laughs> I agree. I, mean, I think there needs to be. I, a little I think bit that, of that there's some. There is definitely a virtue in having them be in that sense, larger than life, you know, that, that mm -hmm. to, to have that kind because that would be a really simple, um, a really simple visual cue that we're yes. not talking about, you right. know, they're not just elves. There's just a guy. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and I've always kind of pictured that, like Orome. I always get his name, his pronunciation wrong. You know, when I picture him first being in Quibianen, that he's distinctive in the sense of larger, you know, uh, larger than the elves. Right. 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 Besides having a cool horse. Right. Right. Um. Yeah, Kimber Nelson, you know, like says, just a little taller because height means something in Tolkien's world, but almost should be should be huge coming out of the water. His height varies. That's true. Heights can vary. They're yes, oh, there can certainly be moments, and actually, I think that would be a really cool visual thing to do to have there be particular moments when right. when the Valar like the doom, do doom of Mandos would be one. Yes, mm -hmm. when Mandos yeah. delivers the doom, I, I I don't you know. Yes, no, I mean he's up on a height, but it would but be. Still. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. When Varda uh, 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 makes the stars, you know, yes. when 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 Olmo rises from the sea, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, uh, even potentially when um, when Orome shows up, you right? Know, Orome's out, you know, when he's hunting on Nahar in Middle Earth, right? There's there's there's, you know, that's kind of him in his element, right? Him hunting in the woodlands. Uh, I mean, I could say again, it's, you know. It's hard because we don't want to undermine it with comedy, but I could totally see this, like, you know, 15-foot glowing Orame come riding into where the elves are and then have him be like, oh, oh, sorry, uh, shoot, um, and then diminishing himself to, like, you know, come and talk to them. Uh, you know, but, yeah, anyway, you know, when, when they're sort of in their... Uh, in their Native elements are sort of exerting their power in a, in a, no, in a, you know, a sort of particular and noteworthy way. Um, that seems... You know, and actually, Brianna reminded me that she's done this in the she did some drawings in the in the discussion board. But she was like, you know, make them more elemental or animalistic, but becoming yes. more elf-like after the elves show up. Yeah, on that on that, I, I was I was wondering, I was just thinking the same thing, Trish. That um, to to do we want to add some like CGI or special effects, embellish the appearance? Like, I think it's good if we have a, a an actor cast for each, and that the right. that the that the Val the Valars. Um, Appearance is 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 fundamentally or at its core reminiscent of that person, but that maybe we could layer over some CGI to kind of make them look more elemental. Um, and right, like David David Russell mostly says, the, the the elemental would be related to what their response, you know, what their yes. area of responsibility is. Absolutely. Hey, hey, hey! This is awesome. Guess what? Okay, so this is how. <laughs> We could we could embed a huge percentage of the Valaquenta. The Valaquenta being the thing nobody has talked about. We keep talking about the Aino Lindale. No one has talked about the Valaquenta, which is really the harder thing to depict, of, like the oh, hardest yeah. thing to depict in the entire Silmarillion, right? But we could embed a huge chunk of the Valaquenta just in our visual representation of the Valar when yeah. we first meet them, right? That's true. Have those descriptions from the Valaquenta be embodied, be visually represented, represented in their physical beings and then yes have them change so that we can have um you know this this you know these shots of yavana in all of her like you know natural growing living world splendor but mm -hmm. she doesn't have to look like that for the whole series you know we she's not going to be like that walking around uh with uh you know with the the elves in valinor and and that like scale could be something that maybe could be used to to you know in certain moments to suggest that this person is is taking on their role, exerting their power somehow. Um, uh, you know, like um, 
<laughs> I wonder what Niena's elemental appearance is going to be. Anyway, side thought. But um, yeah. Mando's yeah, when he's Mando's when he's delivering his doom could be <laughs> his form could alter in addition to yes. like scale changing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I like that. They, they could basically sort of resume their um, yeah. Omo when he rises elemental. from the sea can be like the Omo we haven't seen in quite a while, right? You know, the the the, the, the that initial <laughs> elemental Omo. It says. Kate thinks Yavanna should always be dropping leaves behind her when she exits a scene. I think yeah. that's awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Omo leaves a puddle behind him, or Nienna does? No, yeah, it's Nienna who leaves a puddle. No <laughs> question. No question. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Okay, so here's the direct challenge then to the costuming people, all right? You guys have to, like, and, and, and the visual design people, you've got to come up with visuals for all of the Valar so that we can depict them in, and contain in a, in a compressed visual form So because we're going to have no narrator explaining it, right? Um, think of all of those things that are said about the Valar, of each one of the Valar and the Valaquenta, and, uh, and show us how to visually... So obviously we have some, you have some homework before yeah, season lots one. lots of homework. But not for next time. That's you've got plenty of time. Five, you got, right? You've, got, you've yeah. got several weeks... Uh, uh, you know. Let's see. We actually do have, don't we, um, costume. Uh, we actually have an episode that we plan to talk about costuming and stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? Yep. I'm trying to yeah. remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I think I, I think that that stuff all works pretty well. How about um, how about um, what do you think about music and magic? Ugh, man, this is tough. Because cause I'm pretty sure, because, hmm, I don't know, because cause, cause doing it just the way it is in the book will obviously look silly. Uh, and, well, the, and whereas and the problem is it's all non-visual in the book. I mean, yeah. there, there's there's other than the, you know, uh, you know, as Sam says, uh, fi- you know, fireworks like poor Gandalf used to show, um, apart from, you know, the few pyrotechnical performances that Gandalf puts on. There's almost no visual, visible magic anywhere in Tolkien's world. It just doesn't usually happen. Um, but that doesn't mean that magic isn't occurring. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it's but it's really hard. I mean, so much of the magic is immaterial, invisible. You know, with and an almost sort of spiritual has, impact, right? yeah. know, spiritual or psychological impact, yeah. um, as much as anything else. But it exists. So do we risk lo- – and well, Timothy, awesome example. Tim Fisher says, how about the Girdle of Melian? Awesome example. How the heck are we going to do the Girdle of Melian? Do we visually yeah. depict like an impenetrable wall of thorny – you know, a thorny hedge up around her or what? You know, that's not what it was like. I mean, that's not how it's described. It's not like a physical barrier that's there. Um, but nevertheless, there's a very real barrier. It impacts um, – uh, that's a that's a, I, I had been thinking of that one, Timothy, but it's a wonderful example of the challenge. Yeah. Um, uh, that one yeah. I think actually is quite doable because because worst case scenario you can depict the the effects the side effects. Right. Um, right. But so in general, have, yes, this is this is this is very they, difficult because yeah. you could I, do like you do in Lotro when you run into a visible wall. You know, we're just sideways. <laughs> you just keep running in place, but start moving slowly sideways instead of forward. Yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Well, it's it's. See, I don't think you know. A couple of people are sort of suggesting that it's kind of like a force field. I don't think the Girdle of Melian was a force field. No. I, I, it was just. It's it's. Uh, yeah, it's not a wall that they hit, but rather. But it is a barrier that they can't pass through. Isn't it more like a effect that gets triggered? Yes, it's like yeah. you know, uh, like bewilderment like and coming out of the ground or something. Yeah, 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 um, uh, yeah. Um, hmm. We can. Uh, Kate says, course, "What do Lotro and other games do with magic?" Oh no, we can't. Lightning yeah. and. Well, see, that's the problem yeah. is that, like, basically, the 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 solution. The, I mean, it, it it's a huge issue when you're doing a video game, um, in Tolkien's world. Um, it's one of the like first and most fundamental questions is how you're because people want to be able to cast spells, right? But casting spells is exactly the kind of thing that almost never happens in Tolkien's world, and he was very deliberate right. about that. Um, I. So, so basically, Lotro, another place, I mean, it's one of the places, and this is, you know, they're very open about this, it's one of the places where they compromised. It's one of the, the sort of the biggest uh, places where they said, okay, we know that this isn't how it works in Tolkien's world, but it's kind of how we have to make it work in order for this to function as a game in the way that people want to play this game. So we're going to have to do it. And then given that fact, given the fact that they said, we're going to cave and have people just cast spells, then they tried to make those spells be as Tolkien-like as possible, right, and attach them to things like runes and, uh, and music and things like that. But, um, but still, the fu- their fundamental choice to say, we're going to have people cast particular spells um, was ultimately a departure from the way that Tolkien depicts things. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, that's exactly what we want to try to avoid in the depiction. You know, I think that... Music is something that we can do here. In, in some sense, I think that the, the, the question about the depiction of song and magic uh, kind of, it doesn't exactly solve itself, but it sort of suggests an answer to many of the problems. Take the Girdle of Melian, for instance. There, it's very easy to have a particular musical theme. Um, you know, when uh, Melian first sets the girdle about Doriath, we play, you know, we play a musical theme in the background. Yeah. Um, and then that musical theme is played again whenever the Girdle of Melian comes into effect. So when we are wanting to show the effect of the Girdle of Melian upon those who attempt to cross, um, we play that theme again. Um, and, and, you know, so that's, that provides a cue. Um, and the nice thing about music, of course, is that like Tolkien's magic, it is not visible, but it has a kind of a, an, uh, you know, well, music more of an emotional effect, perhaps, but still, it it impacts us, but it impacts us in non-visual ways, and so is therefore, in some ways, like Tolkien's magic. Um, now, we can't always just. There will be times um, when magic is just going to need to be shown. Like again, Sauron and 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 uh, uh, and and Finrod are a big example. I mean, this is why. I mean, in the two towers. It is in the two towers, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When Saruman throws the fireball at Gandalf in the film. Yes. Right. I mean, I, I sort of giggled when that happened. On I remember giggling in the theater when that happened. But I, I was sympathetic, you know. And so on, on the one hand, I'm like, that's kind of silly. But again, I think it would have, you know, basically in that moment, right, when Gandalf and Saruman are confronting each other, 
as a visual representation, you have two choices, right? You mm -hmm. either choose a non-book way to visualize the, you know, the conflict of the magical conflict of wills between Gandalf and Saruman, because they're fighting. They're not just talking. They're fighting. A fight just happened in that scene, even though it's not represented visually. You either have to make a visual representation, such as a fireball being chucked and ignored, or not do it, right? Or just make it, make, let the audience go on thinking all they did was just talk. And I would go so far as agreeing with Jackson that I, I, I think I too would err on the side of representing something mm -hmm. rather than, you know, uh, going away uh, with uh, basically de, uh, de magicking <laughs> the world, right? <laughs> that's, um, that's interesting, Corey, because I was, I was sitting here thinking just uh, the, as you were saying that my first instinct is the, is the opposite, which is, is if we can't magical. figure out a way to do it right, let's leave it out so we right. don't Well, yeah, it. no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> the, the, that goes without saying. I wouldn't do the fireball thing. I mean, I think that that's hokey and it does break the thing. It, it does break the frame. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't mean that I would want to err that far on that side. <laughs> but... Um, and I, I do think that it was done rather better in the light versus shadow conflict with uh, with 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 Gandalf and and the necromancer. Um, it's still not awesome, but better than the fireball. Um, mm -hmm. But again, the wonderful thing is there aren't that many situations where this is going to actually have to come up. Um, where well, can we, visual can magic we, can must can be we, depicted. Right. Can we establish that song creates magic as early as, you know, uh, Valinor, you know, showing Valinor, like maybe the way that the Valar create Arda is through song, and so we come to connect song yeah. to magic, and then when we, because we have Finrod and we have uh, Luthien later, then we've established that that's, you know, that's the sort of magic that happens in Middle-earth. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, of course you're right, Luthien. I mean, really, I mean, you think about it. The the Baron and Luthien story is going to be the the place where all the magic stuff is really good. I mean, you've got right. Luthien's the, right. you know business with her hair and her cloak and uh, her conflict with Sauron and Finrod's conflict with Sauron and people changing for, you know the the changing form into you know wolf and bat and you know I mean all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there are. If we listed the number of times that a magical action happens, you know, during the, it's yeah. yeah, I mean, the majority of them would be in the Baron and Luthien story, um, but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think the deployment of musical motifs, as you say, Trish, establishing the connection between music and magic at the beginning, and right. then to be using that deliberately. Um, so that people come to expect it, you know, so that people come to understand when music happens or when a character sings, um, there's... Something's going to happen. Magic is happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, she could they, even sing, she could even sing the bat and wolf disguises yes. somehow, yes. you know. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Yeah. I would think so. Yeah. Um, and, you know... Now, the only one is when... when it, that's fine. When, uh, what's his name, uh, 
Turin's sword speaks. That's going to be a tough one. <laughs> Who's going to sing to make that? Who sword are we going turn? to cast as 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 Turin's sword? sword? Turin. Yeah, 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 sword of Turin. Yeah, the two most uh, the two most sought after bit parts, uh, of course, would be Turin's sword uh, and the and, and the troll's purse. But um, <laughs> but anyway, we'll we'll. Uh, We'll get there. We'll get there. Not going to. Not going to 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 to, to get distracted right. with that yet. But I. Um, but I generally. I generally think your your comment about um, the Inalindale and how we're we're going to we're going you know we're not going to be cowards and just drop it. I think that's true of. I think that's true of magic here too. I think that the battle between. Sauron and and Finrod is such a it's such a neat scene. I think we have yes. to we I think we we've got to make an attempt somehow to figure out how to adapt that to screen, in a and in a way that doesn't um, that doesn't remove its essence. It doesn't just say all right, well, Finrod and Sauron are going to toss fireballs at each other. Like I, right. I think we we need to do we need to to make our best attempt at figuring out a way to do it the way it is in the book. Not right. not just blindly, you know, literally adapting it straight on. They're going to sing at each other, you know, sing those exact songs. But just, I think we have to try. Um, I think that would be, you know, it'd be neat to do because there's so many nice scenes there of, of uh, you know, like like imagery related to breaking of chains and freedom, and then and then the 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 you know Sauron evokes the kinslaying, which is pretty cool. Yes. I I think that could be really neat if if we just find the right way to do it. Yeah. Well, as somebody mentioned, you know, if there's particular, like if we use song, mm-hmm. there can also be a visual effect when there's, when the song is being used for magic. I mean, that's something we could, again, establish early on. Right. Yeah, I do think that, um, and because Dave, you're right, the way that that song works is through imagery, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're, 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 their duel is a musical duel, but it's a, in that sense, a poetic duel as well, right? It's, it's, it's a duel of these images. And it would be possible for us to depict that battle with essentially a series of of like visual snippets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to sort of show the warring ideas. And if you think about it, um, that's how a lot of the music works, right? The song yeah. that is being sung conveys a particular idea. Again, think of the way that Luthien's uh, music works. And I'm thinking here especially of the version... Um, in the Book of Lost Tales, she makes her hair grow by singing a song of of, of lengthening, a song of the longest and tallest things, right? Um, and that makes her hair grow. So we can do that kind of thing. We could do, um, especially in something like Sauron and Finrod, we could do those images of uh, you know of 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 freedom and the escaping prisoner and and you know the the things that that, that Finrod is singing, and and then we show the things that Sauron is singing. And the question is which one of these things, which one of these, I mean, the whole the whole substance of their duel, is which one of these ideas is going to be sort of imprinted on reality, right? And it turns out, it's the one about enslaving, right? Because Sauron wins that duel. And so the reality ends up matching, uh, not identically perhaps, but it ends up matching um, the the spirit of what Sauron sings. Just as when Luthien sings her lengthening song, um, the reality ends up matching matching that, and her hair grows longer. Um, 
that seems to be, again, if we want to talk about sort of the mechanism of how this kind of song magic works in Tolkien's books, that seems to be it, right? Um, and so it does give us an opportunity not to just have special effects, right? Fireballs and shadows and whatnot, um, but to actually try to be conveying the ideas or even in some sense the stories that the music is depicting, the songs are depicting, and then inviting the that to be, you know, the, the viewers to sort of be connecting that with reality. So then when we come back to the present, right, you know, to Sauron and, 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 and Finrod physically standing there, Finrod is in chains, right, because mm -hmm. Sauron's images have won. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think there's, um, uh, th there's, th there's a lot of, uh, uh, of, of potential there. And again, so that combined with the, the, the judicious use of, of, um, of score, you know, of the of mm -hmm. the of the the background motifs, um, so that we do we can create that kind of an association with because so much of the magic is not even that explicit, but just the way that some people influence other people or influence events, right? Um, and so it kind of dovetails with our initial discussions about Iluvatar and the Valar, right? When when we do want to suggest that things are being influenced, and not, Dave, I agree, as you said before, I'm not going back on what we said about not oversimplifying the, like, and here comes Iluvatar, solving problems, right? I'm not saying that. Um, but again, in those moments when, um, you know, when we, I, I think it would be a really fun opportunity to write to write a score. Um, to have something like, for instance, we would presumably have a Nienna weeping motif, musical motif, right? Um, <laughs> which could come in at various points, and it would be, it would be really cool. You know, I think something David Russell Mosley said, I think, triggered something for me. I mean, we could establish, because I'm trying to think if there's an instance where this doesn't apply, we could establish magic as a creation. Of, you know, it's, it's, it's about creation, whether it's creation, you know, of a reality, like you said during the Finrod Sauron thing. It's a weaving of a reality. Yeah. And, like who wins, with, but that's also back to the Valor, creating Arda, you know, so that's where it can be established. It's a weaving of things through song, and then, you know, everything, like Luthien, that's, you know, even lengthening her hair is a creation. It's a weaving of reality kind of thing. So that's how magic could be, quote-unquote, defined through right. our, I, I don't think it needs to be said, made, you know, so much as demonstrated, that that's what magic is in this in this world. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think okay. um, <laughs> I th I th I'm, tr I'm trying to sort of figure out what we've decided here so far. <laughs> well, that's just where we're, I was we're going not, to segue us through to. Yeah, here. we're not making a commitment to here's how but we're, we're having, going to. We, we do have to make gonna, some decisions. Yeah, you know, yeah. we, we are committed to making a decision on things yeah. every episode. But so. we don't have right. to. But, we don't have to decide precisely how we're going to depict Finrod's battle with Sauron just yet. Exactly. No. Exactly. No. Right. No. Yeah. That that's the thing about these season zero discussions. We want to make sure that we're kind of on the same page and have a clear idea about the general approach, the general assumptions we're going to be making. Um, but, because later uh, when we go to do that, we need to refer back to the decisions we made now. Exactly. You know. Exactly, um, and we're uh, uh, and we're running low on time too. But that's fine. Actually, I think we've I think we've we've kind of I feel Have like we decided. Sort of, well, tell you what, let's sum up and see if we actually are all are on the same page here. So. For Iluvatar, we're not going to be directly portraying him most of the time. We have the two, you know, that we have a couple 
instant the Invina wind away, of course, which is its own uh, problem. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's the conversation with Aule, but other than that, there are very few times when dialogue from Iluvatar is needed. So even the question of are we going to have him be a voice or, or something, we seem to be generally agreed on the fact that we're not going to go out of our way to insert Iluvatar in extra places. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, to make his to make the hand of Iluvatar more visibly present within our version of the story than it was in Tolkien's version of the story, mm -hmm. um, though still to have him be referred to um, by those who know about him, uh, which is not everybody, uh, and, uh, and 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 so so not not to kind of drop the idea but basically to have it be a sort of a background thing so that the, for the majority of the show, there isn't really a question of depicting him directly. Even and I think the parenthetical thing there would be that he, like, like pretty much all of the Valor, would have a musical theme that right. would get used. Yeah. yeah, I would think that's almost, it seems almost necessary. So by the way, notice we have homework for the musicians too. Um, <laughs> in addition to wanting, you know, drawings of how the like costuming slash CGI would be for all of the Valar in their initial manifestations before they just look more like the elves. Um, we also want musical motifs for all of the Valar and for Iluvatar. So, which would probably start off before yeah, artists which, which, ha which would have to, which would be incorporated um, from the Ainulindale forwards. So, um, right. so uh, get to work musicians. Um, now, so the, <laughs> For the, so, and, and for, so for the Valar, are we agreed, right, that we have, we're going to have them appearing. When they descend into Arda, we will give them vis visual appearance. But at first, right. they're not going to look normal, right? They're not going to look as they come right. to look later on. At first, they're mm -hmm. going to be, um, uh, they're going to be in more elemental forms. And right. we're going to sort of encode within those forms the description of their nature and properties that we get in the Valaquenta. And then when the elves are born and the elves come to... So the, basically the first time we see the Valar in their uh, sort of normal-looking, non-elemental forms, I would think, would be when the three emissaries get to Valinor. Right. right? Yeah. Well, or um, Orome may change. <laughs> Orome may change first, yes. But, uh, but, but the rest of them... Will, so when, the, when they arrive, we, we will see them uh, uh, in, their, in their forms. And when they do adopt those more uh, uh, incarnate-like forms... Uh, that is forms like the incarnate races. We will just have the actors appearing in costume, right? So no, no more CGI effects, just the actors right. in costume. Except we will have a scale difference. What should the scale difference be? Should the elves like come up to their shoulders, like that kind of a scale difference? That's what I'm thinking. Shoulders or chest, or knees or ankles. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what we not what we decided not kind to of do. Like, I, yeah. Kind of like I think, you know, you said it in different contexts earlier, but the difference between say Frodo and Gimli is what I was thinking. Right. 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 Which is as I understand just the difference in height between Elijah Wood and and, and John Reese Davies, wasn't it? John uh, Reese Davies it, John well, Davies is quite tall, I believe. Yeah, I think he's actually quite tall, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. I think uh, um, I, see, I vaguely remembered that, but I, yeah. I vote. I vote for this. It be um, likewise similar to similar to some of the other things where where we agree in principle that it should be a difference in scale, not but not at a comically absurd right. one. But then, comically absurd. but then maybe within from scene to scene, we can think very carefully about what's the right thing to do here. 
Well, that was what I was going to add in. Like we said, at certain really key moments, they will have different, a slightly different appearance, perhaps, as well as a difference in stature. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, and it will be interesting, and it, obviously it's something that we can be thinking about as we're looking at particular scenes and thinking about yeah. particular moments in yeah. the story as we move mm -hmm. forward. Um, would we want also any kind of uh, uh, a, a costume distinction in addition mm -hmm. to scale? Are they going to be, like, more regally dressed than the elves? I think they need to be somewhat... Would they have, like... I mean, any other traditional signs of royalty? I mean, will they be wearing circlets or crowns? Will they be, you know, anything like that? Well, I think that's something to ask, uh, you know, to ask our listeners. A costume folks? Would this, yeah, costume folks. And would this be true across all of them, or...? Well, that's the question, yeah. And then, yeah, are the, the, you know, the, are the Maya going to be looking to, Is there going to be a rank difference you could tell a the Maya from Valhalla? A fantastic question about the Maya. Yes, yeah. we, haven't even, we didn't even talk about that. Um, little... What about the Maya? What about the lesser Maya? I'm a little disinclined to do that as it as it starts to feel more like the old hokey uh, depictions of the Greek gods. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. And and I think it's again it, it's um, I mean I think I think the sort of depicting depicting them as royalty is maybe a little more relevant for for individuals like Manway and stuff. But there's mm -hmm. some of them that that just very rarely assert that kind of role or authority. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, you could have no, them have a rune on their, at their third eye, you know, right between their eyes on their forehead. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 um, I like uh, um, Kate's suggestion that, you know, their costuming could still keep some sort of yes. evidence or vestige of their elemental True. forms that we saw earlier on. Um both so that we would still recognize them, uh, <laughs> uh, since we're going to presumably be going a bunch of episodes in their elemental forms, right? Yeah. I mean, the the waking at Creviandon is not happening in episode one or two or probably three, um, so we're going to get a bunch of elemental Valar interacting if that's the choice that we make. But um, but uh, yeah, anyway, this is a this is of course a costume. Uh, the costume issue. And then the Maya don't necessarily need distinctions unless you do it by who they're following, you know, who they're who they're allied to. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The Maya, I mean, the Maya could be distinguished through costume, but yeah, so you can tell, like, you can tell a, a whatever it is that <clears throat> in Manway's costume distinguishes him as Manway, you know, and 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 associates him with the mm -hmm. with with the air. Um, <clears throat> that right. same. You know, sort of uh, costume motif could be present among in, his uh, in, yeah, among his mire. Um, yeah. So that's kind of easy enough. Okay. Um, I would think, I would incline towards a scale difference. That is to have the mire be scaled more like the the elves, basically, so that they, they would be pretty idea. much the same stature. Yeah. So that we can communicate that distinction. But because I mean, it's hard though because. One mistake I think people often make in reading the books is basically thinking of the Valar as like a fundamentally sort of different kind of species. They're not. I mean, it's just the difference between Gandalf and Manway is one of scale, not one of kind. Right, um, right. Exactly. What you'd probably do is have them be the same height as the elves, but have their co go back to a costume differentiation. Yeah. So some yeah. sort of distinction to show a Maya versus an elf. And they can Especially still, when you get to the Vanya, you know, when the Vanya staying about later on down the line. So we're going to have the Vanya, right, in, in staying in Valinor. 
So you're going to have elves, Maya, Maiar, and Valar in, in Valinor when we show Valinor after a certain point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Brianna's thinking they should you know, they should probably still be a little taller than the elves, but less slightly less tall than the Valar. Um, but yeah, possibly. I mean, I don't know. I could, could kind of fine tuning that we want to get into there. But again, let's kind of think of that. Right. No pointy point ears for the for the Meyer. Philip Menzies says no pointy ears. No pointy ears. Well, <laughs> how pointy are the ears of the elves uh, yes. to begin with? Well, we have to talk um, about that. Yeah, that's yes. we haven't talked about the elves. Yeah. Well, we'll get there when we when we. We'll get do to that the when elves. we do the Quibi, yeah. when we're anticipating we'll, Quibian. And... We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, we're going to say that alert, aren't we? We're going to talk about that later. Oh, yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. Kick it down the road. Kick it down. So the, that's, then, that, that, that's the great thing about having this project last for like ten to fifteen years is uh, you know we've got lots of time and we don't have to talk about all these that's things. That's right. Now. That's right. So in that long conversation, I think we did come to consensus between the three of us, didn't we, on the Valar? I think so. I think so. And then with songs and magic, we're talking about basically the representation, uh, focusing on when we do represent direct magical action. Um, focusing on actually kind of representing the song in poetry, remembering, and this is something I didn't say before, but remembering Tolkien's emphasis that the magic of the elves is prim primarily of an artistic kind, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's, mm -hmm. it, you know, in thinking of the term that he uses in On Fairy Stories of fairy and drama, right? That <clears throat> basically elf magic is like a, an artistic performance, but an artistic performance uh, so sort of overwhelming and uh, real seeming that it is mistaken by uh, by mortals as being of the primary, you know, of the primary world. So we can create something like that effect um, in uh, in our visual depiction of these things, Dave, as you were suggesting with Sauron and Finrod. Mm -hmm. um, and that seems that seems, and then basically, so that combined with emphasizing uh, music and musical motifs seems to be um, uh, seems to be right. a really good way to approach this. Right. Okay. Because yes, yeah, so I think we I think we pretty much came to a consensus on that stuff, right? Yes, I think we did. Yeah. Okay. You think we did? Surprisingly. Cool. Good. Surprisingly. <laughs> All right. Well, if you. Have, it should always uh, be this easy. That's well, right. Most, and if, uh, mostly if, because all the hard questions we kicked it down the road. <laughs> exactly right. Any, 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 any really, really thorny elements of these questions we just refuse to talk about. So that does simplify things, doesn't it? Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, I, I, I do think on that note, I do think it is it is noteworthy uh, that a lot of the the things that we worried a lot about how would we depict the how would we depict Iluvatar how will we depict the Valar uh, well Valar a little more um, um, uh, extensive how will we do magic the the things that really bothered us you know the magic thing really when you start worrying about how are we going to depict magic the one that really bothers you most is the Finrod Sauron battle and really the rest of them are kind of like oh, it's really not that big of a deal so. So we don't actually have to make a big picture decision about specifics. Right. We can kind of defer this to once we get to yep. how do we want to tell that story, we can make a decision. And and I don't think it's necessary we be 100% consistent across stories yeah. or seasons or whatever. I think we can – I think that we should allow ourselves some ability – Kind of like what we were saying when we were when we were talking about real uh, during Reels and Dark, talking about the Hobbit and saying how slavishly must they follow the story that they set up in the Lord of the Rings, right. and we 
we on principle said we think they shouldn't be slavish we think they should elect to tell the best story they can for these films um even you know at the cost of consistency and of course they did that in many cases um i think the same thing for us we should we should skew towards the side of 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 telling for each particular episode for each particular story arc or season we should skew toward the side of um, of telling the best possible story, even if it means in one circumstance we say, here we're just going to remove the magic, and another place we say, here we're going to um, um, uh, we're going to depict this magical battle as an episode of American Idol. Here we're going to do fireballs. <laughs> I think that's perfectly fine. Right. I don't and think remember. there's reason we have to be consistent or anything like right. that. Right. And remember, this is another wonderful thing about the frame, right? Mm -hmm. That um, by having the frame and by having different tellers in the frame, um, they can be focusing on different, they can tell the stories different ways, right? Yep. They can be interested in different elements. Some of them might emphasize, like, you know, the, the, the way in which what hobbits would call magic was involved and others would just not talk about that or not focus on that. Yeah. Um, so having them framed differently and by different characters does enable us to have a kind of a, a variety, which wouldn't necessarily, which, which we wouldn't have if we didn't have a frame mechanism at all. Um, yeah, good. No, I, I agree. I think that's. I think that that all works really well. Um, well, uh, before we close, we need to give uh, uh, homework and uh, uh, for next time. So, of course, those of you who are listening uh, after the fact um, will have the opportunity to weigh in on the stuff that we just talked about today. Um, if you want to respond to any of the comments that we make or object to any of the conclusions we came to, you have the opportunity um, in our discussion forums, and we will come back. Uh, so, again, go to silmfilm.mythgard.org and hit discussion at the top of the page and it will take you right to our discussion forum and um, and there you can weigh in on this we will as we did this past time coming back to the frame we will come back to the uh, to, to these questions briefly at the beginning of next time uh, to do sort of final reflections on those and respond to some of the things that people have said uh, in the uh, uh, in the discussion forum um, but also of course for next time we have the the questions for next episode for you to be thinking out so in our third uh, season zero episode. Uh, we have some so, uh, a couple more fundamental um, questions. To Actually, one question, discuss. one main question, because the chronology one is deferred to the following episode. Well, are we? Well, you I think... earlier you told me that chronology was going to happen not next time, but the time after. Oh no, the decision on particular chronologies. But I want to. But the the the. The, 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 the broader question we, okay. we have a sort of a primary and a secondary question because the secondary question is about chronology and we can we can we can uh okay can i'll put it perfectly back fine if that spills over into the following episode but the big first question is what rhetorical level are we going to use there are several different options here do we uh, do the entire show in Elvish with subtitles, for instance, would be one extreme version, right? Do we use archaic language? Do we use modern language? Of course, the, 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 the rhetorical register of the Silmarillion is one of the most striking elements of it. I mean, it's one of the things that really defines the Silmarillion is the tone in which Tolkien has written, which is different from The Lord of the Rings, which is in turn different from The Hobbit, all of which are different from the way normal people talk nowadays. So um, how are we going to do it? Are we, gonna, are, are we going to 
um, use a modern register or an archaic register? And if archaic, how archaic? Um, are we going to use Elvish or are we not going to use Elvish? Are we going to, um, and if so, where and how? Are we going to make uh, to introduce a difference between the rhetorical level used in the sort of dialogue of characters, are we? And we're not doing voiceover, I guess. Although we, you know, maybe we can revisit that in thinking about this question. Um, anyway, so those are those are those are the questions that we want to. We're going to talk about language stuff next time, um, and then. The, the question about chronology is uh, sort of the broad question about chronology before we get to the specific issues of chronology are how do we want to do contemporaneous events? Mm -hmm. Are we going, is, is our goal to do, to bring our viewers through a systematically chronological um, view of the first world, of the first world, the first age story, or are we going to do, um, stories isolated from each other, even though it means we're going to be asking our viewers to jump around a lot chronologically as well as geographically um, as they follow us from one thing to another. So um, so those are, the, those are the major issues. That last one is, Trish, as you say, going to kind of segue us into, um, right. the, you know, in, in the episode after, in episode four of season zero, we're going to be, um, that's when we're going to be doing our big mapping out of the entire show where we're going to try to say, try to break it down and say, okay, what do we want to cover in season one? What do we want to cover in season two? Knowing that it's unlikely to work out exactly as we map it out in that episode, but we need to have a plan to start off with so that we know where we're going in season one. Um, so in, in, the, in the course of doing that, we'll probably revisit the, uh, the chronology issue. But, but what I want to talk about next time is sort of some of the basic assumptions in, uh, that, that, that we make in our storytelling, essentially. So, um, and reading for next time, there's no, you know, in, in season zero, there's not going to be su such specific reading assignments generally, as you can see, of course, the very broad stuff we're talking about. What I would recommend is just uh, re refresh your memory of the rhetorical registers of these things. Look at, um, go through, just sort of flip through the Silmarillion, look at how the narrator speaks when the narrator is doing long long sections of description and narration. Look at how the characters speak. You know, find uh, um, find passages where you, where we have the Valar talking to each other. Look at look at how they talk. Find passages where you have you know elves talking amongst themselves and how they talk. Humans talking amongst themselves and how they talk. Um, and then go back to the Lord of the Rings. Look at the way that people talk there and the way that the narr the narration works there. Um, so just just kind of be thinking about this question of the sort of vocabulary being used, the kind of uh, the kind of rhetorical register. Um, so uh, so that's and yeah, uh, for uh, people who are thinking about costuming, appearance, musical score, by all means, be reading the Valaquenta. Um, you know, we're not going to come back to that discussion next time, you know, in the next episode. So it's not, that's not the reading homework for next time. Um, but definitely be looking at the Valaquenta um, as we go through. That's going to become, of course, for, in our discussions, we won't get to it till uh, season one. Right. But, but for those kind of creative artists, we do, you know, you do need a lead time. So, yeah, yeah. exactly. I think yeah. if you're going to get into any of that creative stuff, you know, or props, same thing. Um, you know, you probably want to read ahead to the Valaquenta and even other parts of the Silmarillion, perhaps. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, very good. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And uh, uh, note here we are ending on time. Uh, so I'm kind of pleased about that, Darn actually. Right. <laughs> there we go. Good job, Corey. Um,
Thank you. Thank you. Kept us on task. Uh, but anyway, I want to say to everybody, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.